God also purposefully designed us to be male and female. That's his design. It's not good for man to be alone. And so God created the female, Eve, because the distinctive of male and female is important to God. And it should be important to us in our Christian understanding of sexuality. The other thing that happened when Eve was presented to Adam is that the emotional and spiritual connection began. When you read in Genesis 2:21 to 25, God created a bond between Adam and Eve. Adam went, wow, flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. There was an emotional connection made with Eve. And that bond was also spiritual because the rest of that verse, that passage says, and the two became, the man and the wife became one flesh. Now that's a term that has mystified me for most of my married life, 43 years now, as of this date. And trying to figure out what that looks like, should look like, and how it operates in my own marriage. But that happened right away. The two became one flesh. That was a bond that was created between them. A third point is that God's plan and design for our sexuality can be broken. It is possible to not follow God's plan with our sexuality just as it is in every other area of our life. Sin can reign. It's interesting to note that both the man and the woman were naked and not ashamed. After they sinned, which wasn't a sexual sin, but after they became aware of the knowledge of good and evil, then they became aware of their nakedness. And there was a sense of shame, and they hid from God. And in fact, God said, why are you hiding? Who told you you were naked? And so, we know that that relationship between a man and a woman can be broken. And what happened, the consequences to Eve were painful childbirth. The consequences to Adam were hard labor to uh, gain food and sustenance on top of the charge to be in charge of creation. Now he's going to have to work harder for it. And they were forced out of Eden into a less hospitable world. All of these things were the consequences of sin. But most importantly, there was enmity now between male and female. The bond that was pure to begin with was now sullied, was now dirtied. Because both of them, both Eve and Adam, denied their responsibility before God. It was the servant, serpent that you, that told me this, Eve said. Adam said, it was that woman you gave me. And that enmity between them began at that moment. And has continued for all these years and causes a lot of the strife that we feel between the sexes. But here's the final point I want to make. Is that 
resolving our sexual sin is very reasonable and possible and has been proven in the experience of these safe helpers that are speaking to you and others. All sin is paid for by Christ's blood. When we acknowledge our sin before God the Father, then he can deal with it for us. Not all consequences can be undone. A baby that was born out of wedlock remains a baby born out of wedlock. Sexually transmitted diseases that may be acquired remain and may stick with us. There are consequences that don't go away, but there are many that do. Prayers that accurately confess and uh, accuse and confess the specific wrongdoings of certain situation show God that we have understanding of what his rules are and what we should have done and what shouldn't, shouldn't have happened in that situation. We honor God by a good prayer. And only God can break the spiritual bonds that were formed. We're going to ask him to do that. We'll talk about that at the end of this teaching session. And only Christ cleanses us from our unrighteousness. So those are several things that are important to me as I delve into this beginning, begin to delve into this topic today. So, chapter 11, page 67 of your syllabus. We see here an important concept. When Jesus um, said, you have heard that you should not commit adultery, well, I say to you, if you even look on a woman with lust in your mind, lust in your heart, that you have committed adultery with her. That's Matthew 5, 27 to 28. So, it begins in the mind. And um, the idea that sex is only a physical act or a physical thing is uh, insufficient in our understanding of sexual sin. How many of you have ever felt somebody was looking at you across a room and you felt dirty or uncomfortable or ill at ease? When a woman, a female, desires another person and works to create a relationship, has she made a claim on that person? I'm going to do whatever it takes to get close to him. How does he feel about that? When a male decides he wants a physical relationship with another, has he made a bond in his mind? Has he been rehearsing what that might look like and feel like in his mind? Has he made a bond? Has she made a claim? These are some of the other pieces that we have to think about. God intended sex to be a part of a, one, a committed marriage of one man and one woman. These days, we don't, the, the world around us would define sexuality in every term and every way that you can imagine. But is it God's way? That's the point. So, we don't want to be 
focusing on what the world says is God's opinion. We want to be focusing on what God says. And that's what we hope to be exploring with you here right now. It's important to know that uh, there are physical, emotional, and spiritual consequences whenever a sin occurs. A spiritual uh, tie, a spiritual tie is created when sexual union occurs. 1 Corinthians 6, 15 and 17. Don't you know that your members, your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her or him in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Genesis 2.24 and 1 Corinthians 6.15 and 17 imply that something happens spiritually. Although we are connected to someone physically through sex, and we know that we do not become one actual physical body, we become with one with them spiritually. And we are being asked to not go there. And all of us, in some way, probably have gone there. Now, if the partners are married, this physical and emotional and spiritual connection is completely appropriate and good. It is God's desire. He wanted that to happen in the sanctity of a one-man, one-woman marriage relationship, despite what society might tell us. But if that's not what has happened, then that sense of shame and dirtiness and unworthiness can interfere with our relationship with our spouse. People often think that general confession yeah, God, I did that. I, I, for, please forgive me. Will be enough. But the consequences of sin in the emotional, spiritual, physical need to be accused and or confessed pr properly so that God knows that we understand His design for our sexuality. There's a case example of a bond uh, in your syllabus about Lanny or Lani. And she, before becoming a Christian, was engaged to Charles, had chosen to keep her virginity until she was married. But one night, after taking some drugs and drinking, she had passed out and woke up in the morning realizing that Charles had raped her while she was passed out. She broke off the engagement. That was a terrible thing that Charles had done. After that, Lanny had dated several men and was sexually active with them, with seven of them. Then she became a Christian and stopped her promiscuous behavior. She received counseling as she moved toward the mission field. She confessed her sexual past in general terms and asked for forgiveness and later met and married Rob. Rob had some indication about her sexual history, 
but didn't think about it a lot because it happened before she was saved and he dismissed uh, some of that in his own mind. Ten years passed and two children had arrived and they were missionaries overseas but Rob had come to Connie and Richard Smith in great dis- distress. He, he felt that Lonnie was distant, uh, withdrawn, and somehow he didn't feel that she was fully his, that she he, he didn't have her full attention. Lanny was distressed because she didn't know how to bridge this gap in her relationship. She had prayed about these things and wondered if we could be any, if Connie and Richard could be of any help. And they could. As you read there, Rob uh, took care of the children so Connie and Richard could spend time with Lonnie. And they got a quick chronological history, including other things than her sexual history. In working through that sexual history, she dealt with every man individually by name, starting with the first. And that's generally the pattern that we will follow. We start with the first, because often there's a progression. We become comfortable with some sin and move on to the next extension of it. With Charles, the first man, she was a victim of rape, not a willing partner. And she had, though, to confess her drugs and drinking, and ask for forgiveness for having put herself in a vulnerable situation. She accused and forgave Charles for the betrayal and rape, but she had nothing sexually to confess. Emotionally, she felt shamed and defiled, and she needed cleansing for those things. With the other men, Lanny had lived out her defilement after Charles' rape and was a very willing partner. So each of these men had to be dealt with. She accused and forgave each one of them without excusing them. And previously, though she had forgiven them in obedience to God's command, but without really understanding the full implications of all that happened in those sexual um, events. So she brought them up before her Heavenly Father more completely this time. And then she confessed her part. She asked for forgiveness and she did not give herself, make an excuse for her own behavior. Well, if Charles hadn't raped me, then I wouldn't have done this. She owned her part and went on and expressed that to God. Then she asked God to break the bond that had been formed with each of these sexual partners. She asked them to break that bond on three levels. One, the spiritual bond. Now, the bond that is created, the one flesh bond that's created spiritually, is only able to be broken by God. It's made in front of God, and it has to be broken by God. The physical part, the physical bond perspective is that she wanted no longer to have um, the memory or or sensations of these men's experience this, these experiences with these men she asked for them to be returned to neutral so that if she should have met them on the street they would have been oh hi fred 
and there wouldn't have been a lot of desire or anything there. And same with the emotional bond. She asked that that be broken, that there would be no further attraction to that man, positive or negative. Very neutral. God was then asked by Lani for spiritual cleansing from the defilement. She had felt dirty and shamed after Charles raped her. And she continued to feel dirty and shamed uh, from her multiple partners. And she asked God for that cleansing. We know that cleansing is a part of sin. Being cleansed from the sin. Each man was dealt with singly and as a complete prayer before going on to the next. And the safe helpers, Connie and Richard, prayed the witnessing prayer, which included their declaration of what God had done based on Lanny's forgiving these men and on her confession that she was forgiven. As one first John 1 John 1.9 says, the bonds were broken and she was cleansed. In the case of Lanny and Rob, when these issues were resolved, they came back together and asked God to reunite them as husband and wife because now there were no longer other people in the way. So there were some interesting things that Connie and Richard observed throughout that session. They saw that that though Lanny was sitting down, she told us later that she felt like she was standing up before God the whole time. And she saw herself as a ball or a blimp with ropes hanging down. And each time the bonds that she had identified were broken with a man, she saw that ball with one less string. She said each time this happened, it felt as if a weight was being lifted. She became lighter and lighter and finally felt she was floating. Interestingly, also, Lanny had had a recurring nightmare for many years. She'd find herself in a room with her husband, Rob, across on the other side. She would try to cross over to him, but a man was in the center of the room stopping her. She now realized that that man was Charles, the man who had raped her. After she prayed through these men and these experiences, that nightmare no longer presented itself. God will break the bond, but only if we agree that he should. We have to be willing to give up this special bond that we were part of creating. Whether willing or unwilling, we have to break that bond. We claimed one another as sexual beings, and that has to be broken. We want that person to now be in a neutral place and no longer in between us and our spouse. All right. Moving on in the syllabus, we're talking about defilement. Defilement is that sense of being damaged goods, of soiled. So many people feel this as a part of their sexual sin. They just, they feel the shame, they feel dirty, they feel 
the weight. And when God relieves them, the smiles are big and huge. It's, it's exciting to watch. But she felt dirty, defiled, shamed, and worthless. Because of that experience, though she was raped, she began to live out that defilement with the men following Charles' rape. Her dream of being a virgin at her marriage had been broken. It had been taken away for her, from her. It could no longer be. And the purity that she had desired, desired died with his rape of her. Many times, people will say, after they go through their prayers, their sexual history, this is the first time I feel clean. I remember one woman who had been raped by a 20-year-old when she was only 10. She was out in the countryside could not defend herself. And he said to her, I did not ejaculate into you, but if you tell anybody about this, you are going to be telling them that you're a spoiled woman and you will not be able to move forward as you want. He spoke words that were powerfully hurtful on top of his rape. She was now 40. It had been 30 years. And her request of the father, after she accused this man of his rape, after we talked through any confessions that she had, though she was innocent there, she realized she had needed to confess. I... I wasn't sure she had anything to confess, but she said, No, I held God responsible for this, and I didn't let my parents know because I was afraid. I took his words to heart. I need to confess that. And so she did. And her request was, I want to be as pure as the day my mother birthed me. So we asked the Heavenly Father if he would do that for her. And you should have seen her face when he did. You should have seen her face when he did that for her. Thirty years of pain and multiple partners and God restored her her sense of purity. What a blessing to be a part of that, to observe what God will do for His children. So, even when a person is a victim, we have to deal with the bonds that were created. This woman saw this man in the community in those years following she needed to break that bond with him and with subsequent sexual partners and needed to be freed up to her husband, her current husband, 
and she was overjoyed with what God did for her. So cleansing is very powerful from the defilement that comes from our sexual sin. Well, hello again. Um, my name is Marcia Horseman, and I just want to thank all of you who are out there taking this course. I'm just really excited for you and all that you're learning, and um, look forward to meeting all of you someday. Um, the topic that we're talking about today is the, the consequences of sexual sin, and it's a topic that's uh, in some ways really hard to talk about because there's uh, there's so much pain involved here in this in sexual sin and the consequences of it. Um, it's a topic that has probably more confusion associated with it than any other in in prayer resolution. Um, it's also brought a lot of disagreement and misunderstanding and conflict in the church. And any church that is uh, Bible-based and is is uh, believes that it's important to stick to the principles of Scripture is been accused more recently in our in our society of being out of date and being irrelevant. So, like no other time in history, has this topic been really more important. Um, we're being judged as Christians for being hateful or for being morally judgmental when that's not really the, the case, but that's how we're being viewed. Um, we're being viewed as having standards that are unreasonable. At the same time, many people in our, in our society, even in our country and in our churches, they don't really know what God's standards are. So one of the things that we are doing in prayer resolution is to help people understand what are God's standards and how does God view sex. Most people kind of get this feeling that God hates sex. Nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, uh, this is a topic. This this topic of of us being sexual beings is really close to God's heart. And if you look in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, he says something kind of startling. It says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. What's astonishing about that is that this is God is like immediately following the creation story where he's built the universe. He's created the heavens and the earth and he's populated it with animals and fish and birds in the sky and then he makes man as this crowning jewel in this creation that he's made and he's proud of them this is the crowning jewel and he's created man differently than the rest of the the universe he's made he's made man in his own image so you kind of expect that he would say something like well Man is creative, just like God. But he didn't say that. Um, he didn't say that we were created with the ability to love, like he is, which we are. Um, he didn't say that we have an eternal soul, which we do. God only mentioned one thing about us to describe us as being like him. And, and that was that we were male and female. In other words, we were created as sexual beings. And God was very excited to introduce us in that way. So what does that mean? That means that in our sexual uh, beings, as, as females or as males, we, are, we have the capacity for intimacy. 
and we are made for intimacy with God. We are made for intimacy and, and emotional connectedness with each other. So it's that, that desire to be known, that desire to know the other person that is unique. Even in the animal kingdom, there, there's a lot of affection, but they don't know us like another human being can know us. And we can't know their mind like we can know the mind of another human being. We can't have that same kind of fellowship with the animal kingdom that we can with one another. And it's that very capacity for intimacy is why God created us the way he did and said that we are made in his image. He also longs for us to know him. He also longs for us to be open with him. And so he built that into us. It's, the, it's the, the crowning jewel of how he made us as humans. If that's the one thing that's so important to God's heart, that we are sexual beings, doesn't it make sense that that is where the enemy is going to attack us first and foremost? So we um, have this connection with other people. We have this ability to, to connect. Even when we're not married, we have the the capacity to be well-known and to know somebody else well. So in that design, God designed that so that we could have great joy and great connection to one another. Satan's plan in, in that is to disrupt that and to isolate us and to bring bait, great pain and great shame. So there's no other topic that we talk about in prayer resolution and no other topic on the planet really that has the capacity to shred our souls the way sexual sin does. It isolates us from God. It isolates us from uh, other people. And it really brings a kind of level of shame that we don't see in many other topics. Sadly, in our culture today, most people have no real understanding of what God has to say about sex. They don't have any understanding of his, his standards. They really have no understanding of why God would say what he did or the devastation that deviating from those standards can bring in our lives and our relationships with other people. So in prayer resolution, we deal very carefully with, with uh, sexual sin both that that's been committed against us and sins that we commit against other people and violating God's standards in one way or another, uh, we actually begin with that. There are many topics in, in prayer resolution that we will dive into, but the very first one we really address in a, in a uh, deeper way is the consequences of sexual sin. And when I tell people that, that that's the first place we visit, I get this deer in the headlight, uh, headlight kind of a look on their face like, are you kidding me? Why would you start there? That's the most sensitive topic. It's like, you know, pull out that tooth first. Um, but we do it because actually dealing with sexual sin is the most simple. And I don't mean easiest. I mean it's the most simple. It has the most profound effect. And it brings a tremendous amount of relief to people because they have been weighed down in ways that they don't recognize. So we deal with this topic first. One reason is because it really does bring them immediate relief in ways they were not expecting. The other reason is because it sets the stage for work that we're going to do further along in the, in the prayer resolution process. 
And without setting the stage here first, we can't really adequately address issues down the road. So um, we will begin the first day to start dealing with the consequences of, of sexual sin. And I say that meaning that um, comes right after the initial the initial meeting that we might have with people where they're, we're taking a, a, just a history, a general history. So the first day that you meet with somebody, you will be taking a, just an a inventory of their family members and where they lived as, as children and how they grew up and significant events. Eventually, you're going to get to asking them some questions about their sexual history. Uh, but we're just looking for chapter titles in, in that initial history-making day. And we're going to talk about that much more in this training down the road, so I'm not going to go into it too much today. Except to just say one piece of that is that we will just start making a numbered list, asking people some very... Um, specific questions to get them to just give us basic outline of things we need to visit later when we actually begin the PR process, the prayer resolution process. So after that initial history is taken and we're going to have a session with these people, the first thing that we will ask them is uh, what was the first time that you can remember that you were exposed to things of a sexual nature. So any exposure that happened of uh, people being naked or exposing themselves or uh, an introduction to a sexual experience that they really didn't understand or was beyond their ability to even put a a label on it uh, because they were not developed to the point where that was something that they had words for. So who was it who was responsible for their very first exposure to things of a, of a sexual nature, uh, possibly before they had the maturity and the tools to deal with what they were experiencing or seeing? Um, it can sometimes be just a, the first exposure to nudity, the first exposure to pornography, the first time somebody has touched them in a private way, um, it, it, it could be that they were allowed to be innocent the way God planned it until they were able to deal with it in a much more healthy way. Um, maybe they learned a lot of things on their wedding night. And that, that is how God intended it for us to be, that we would be naive about sexual things um, until the time was right. Uh, one of the things that God intended is for us to be so ignorant of things of a sexual nature that we're, we're not um, awakening sexual arousal or responses when it's way too early for us to be doing that. When we ask those questions, people are sometimes kind of relieved to talk about how that happened the first time for them because they have carried that with a great deal of shame and they're so ready to be done with it. Sadly, in America anyway, people are exposed to things of a sexual nature long before God ever intended them to know those things. 
God's design is for us to be ignorant. And when we learn about those things at a too early of an age, it does bring great shame. Um, even though it's not our fault, we feel shameful. So most people are amazed that um, when we begin this PR process, we're not talking about relationships that are happening down the road, but this very first exposure. And when we're taking a history, the um, we're not going to go into any detail at that point. We're just making a numbered list. Um, Uncle, Jam, Uncle Jim and his magazines under the the bed, or um, the neighbor boy that came over and pulled down his pants. So those kinds of things, we're just going to make a number, and we're not going to go into any detail when we're taking a history, just one, two, three, four, ten, whatever, however many there are. Then that first day that we start dealing with um, the sexual sin issue in the PR process, we're going to start with number one and take them through that, that particular issue very carefully through all of the steps of forgiveness. So I'm going to talk just a little bit about what that looks like. Um, and because this is the first topic that we deal with in prayer resolution, this will be the first time you've walked them through that forgiveness process to accuse the person of the things that we're bringing to the table, um, the actual forgiveness itself. Uh, if there's anything to confess, we will walk them through that and to ask for forgiveness. Then there's some other additional steps that will be taken when we're talking about this particular topic of sexual sin. Um, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. I think Ted has already talked to some about bonds and claims, and so we'll talk about that in a minute. Anyway, this is sometimes a really good beginning because it's, uh, it's something that happened to them when they were young. So it's not as complex as some of the things that would have happened to them later on in life. And it's a good way to carry them through the forgiveness process step by step. Some people have not thought of these things for years and years. Um, you know, if, you know, if we're talking about uncovering um, Uncle Jim's magazines under the bed, uh, they may have not thought of that for years, and not even really thought it was much of an incident to be concerned about. And yet, when you unwrap that and um, help them to make a list of why that would have been harmful to them and things that we need to accuse Uncle Jim of doing. And maybe we need to include Aunt Marge, who should have been there, to not allow that to happen. Or, you know, who else could have prevented that that particular thing from happening and, and didn't bother? So we're going to be including those other people in this as well and their part in that incident. What we're going to do is help them make that that list of things that we need to accuse, in this case, Uncle Jim of doing, or whoever is the perpetrator of the first exposure that they had. Now they're looking at this through adult eyes, and it might look very different to them than it did when they were a child. So we walk them through making that list, walk them through accusing them before their Heavenly Father of the great harm that came to them because of not only the incident, but the fallout from the incident, the shame that they felt because of it, the uh, whatever else came out of that experience. So we're going to help them to to uh, bring those things to their Heavenly Father to accuse 
this perpetrator of what they did to forgive them and to walk them through what that means for the very first time. Um, and then we're going to ask them if they have anything that they need to confess. This is a little bit tricky because as a youngster they probably have nothing to confess, although they've maybe felt great shame for a long time over this. But they, in most cases, don't have any any responsibility here because it was out of their experience and it was not something they intended and did intentionally. So it might be a surprise to them that their exposure to things of a sexual nature were really not their fault. And that's, it's helpful for them to hear you say that. So we can help them by witnessing that they were innocent of this, if they were. So you want to be careful because they may have something that they really legitimately do need to confess. It's possible that they went on to um, expose someone else or they covered this up with a secret or they they lied or you know whatever they feel like they they do need to confess as a a wrong reaction to the sin of others they you know we want to give them the opportunity to confess that after they have done that piece and asked that God would forgive them there are still some pieces that need to be taken care of in that very first exposure and that's because so much shame is associated with that. Though that shame may or may not come from uh, just the, the event itself, but there may be bonds that need to be broken. There may be claims that need to be rejected. And they certainly need cleansing. Now, that's not the same thing as asking for forgiveness. Cleansing is where we ask God to do the supernatural act of returning us to purity and and uh, that's a cool thing to witness and it's it's amazing sometimes if, if you're not a believer in miracles you will be after you've walked someone through this process for the very first time and seen the look on their face when they ask God to return them to a state of purity They also may need to have God cleanse their memories and take the sting of that memory out of that, that time for them. And we, we will help them to do that as well at this time. I want to talk now about some other distortions in sex. Um, One of the things that you'll see in the manual is that we've we spent some time talking about incest. And I'm sorry to tell you this, but incest is sadly much more um, common than I wish were the case. Incest is any time that there is sexual activity or lustful even looks or thoughts between family members other than a husband and a wife. It's the ultimate betrayal. When a family member is looking for intimacy with another family member of, of a sexual nature that is outside of the husband-wife relationship, it is just forbidden in Scripture. And it destroys any possibility of a healthy relationship between father-daughter, mother-son, brother-sister, uncle, 
niece or nephew, it, it, it just destroys that completely. So what should be a nurturing re- relationship where they're beginning to understand love in a whole new way, it's destroyed. It's painful when we hear those kind of stories and our heart goes out to those people. As, as a hurting one is describing some of those things, you will feel tremendous passion for them. But the good news is the prayer resolution process can help them and walk them through this process the same way as any other process that we're going to take them through. And they can be cleansed from the effects of incest just like they can be cleansed from any other sexual sin. Um, Actually, when we're helping them to build a list of things that we're going to accuse their perpetrator of doing, it's not just the, once again, it's not just the act itself, the act of rape, the act of violation, the act of um, anything outside God's plan, but also the fallout from that. What was the confusion that happened? What was the shame that came out of that? What were the secrets that they were forced to keep that came out of that? How did that make them um, change their situation with other people? How did it affect their relationships with friends when they had to keep that secret buried? So those are all things that need to be brought up when we're going to accuse somebody of incest. It's also very hard when you've been a victim of incest to trust anybody. You can't build trust where it would be appropriate. That's another thing to accuse a perpetrator of incest of of doing. And the isolation that comes with that. All of those things are on the shoulders of the incest uh, perpetrator. And so uh, we need to help them make a pretty thorough list of what it is we're going to ask our Heavenly Father to um, to do justice on our behalf about. And part of the accusation is not only what was done, but what wasn't done. And what wasn't done was the nurturing that should have come out of a family relationship that was not able to happen. The, the sense of safety, the sense of being protected um, is all violated and it's, it's neglected in a shameful way normal appropriate relationship was something that they were denied and so that also is something that that needs to be on that list of accusations we all need to be touched in affirming ways that was denied for somebody who had a uh, a relationship of incest within the family so that would be another thing that would be on the list of things to accuse that perpetrator of doing Sometimes you'll find that they want to do some confessing here that can be inappropriate. So after you've walked them through the forgiveness process um, and asked them if there's anything that needs to be confessed, it's not unusual for victims of incest to feel like they need to confess that they had a physical arousal in this, this relationship. And they feel such shame for that. It can be really helpful for you to help them, invite them to bring their adult mind into that situation. To realize that that was an unwanted physical response 
that was designed in us by our Creator that we we are designed to have a physical response when we're stimulated like that. So it's not the sh- it is a shameful thing, but the shame is on the perpetrator, not on the hurting one. It, when that's the case, so we have to be really gentle here because they're feeling such shame for something they had no control over, and um, that actually does not is not something they need to confess, but something that they need to accuse their perpetrator of of doing to them. That doesn't mean that they have nothing to confess. They may very well have something legitimate that needs to be confessed. Uh, In some cases of incest, long after, uh, let's say there's a a brother-sister relationship, and it it continues to be of a sexual nature long after childhood, that is something that needs to be confessed. Um, If they went on to abuse someone else, yes, that needs to be confessed. The good news here is the good news of the gospel is that anything that we can do, God can forgive. Anything that we can confess and ask for forgiveness, God can fix so that we can be restored to purity just like any other sin. And that's such good news, isn't it? Um, Once again, after we go through the process with them of accusing, of forgiving, of confessing, and of asking for forgiveness... Um, It's no different. They also need to be given the opportunity to give up a claim that someone has made over them as being a sexual partner when they had no right to that. They had uh, a sense of ownership that they claimed ownership for that person's body that they had no right to claim. So we want to make sure that they reject that claim that a perpetrator made on their body that they had no right to make. And if they had made a claim on the other person, it can sometimes go the other way where they make a a claim on the other person too, that you are mine in a sexual way. That needs to be rejected as well so that there's no sense of of there's, there's an us that should not be. There's also bonds that need to be broken. And I want to be careful here because there, there are family bonds that were violated Um, So we want to make sure that we are asking God to break the illegitimate bonds without breaking the the normal bonds that God designed to be in place between father and a daughter or a sister and a brother. But we're asking that illegitimate bonds of sexual connection, of wrongful spiritual connection would be broken so that God can restore those bonds in a healthy way. And there are some instances where that's really not a safe thing to do. So you're going to have to be very careful and prayerfully asking the Holy Spirit how to do that when you get to that place. They always need to ask God for cleansing so that God can make them pure again and restore them to the purity that they would have had had they never been violated. There are always distortions that come out of incest. Distortions can be about sex itself. Um, It can be distortions about men, distortions about women, distortions about what it means to be a a part of a family or about being emotionally connected to somebody else. It, It may make them feel like there's no such thing as being emotionally close to someone unless there's a sexual aspect to it.
and it, it does terrible violence to their self-worth. All of those things have to be dealt with, but they will probably come later on in the prayer resolution process. So at this point in the, in the PR process, we're just going to note that those things are, are issues that come out of incest. And um, we just ask that God would put a covering on those distortions until the time comes when we can deal with them down the road a little bit more appropriately. It happens all the time in a rape. Um, the rape rapist has claimed the right to that person's body when he has no right to claim that that person as a sexual partner. Um, a pimp can make that claim over a prostitute and he, he claims the right to use her body in any way he demands. It happens in incest, as I've already said, but it can also happen sometimes in ways that we're not thinking about. Um, it can happen in a, an otherwise normal courtship. It can even happen in a marriage. And I, I can remember years ago hearing about a, a man who was determined that this particular woman had to marry him because he was sure that, that God had gifted her to him. And so he wrote this long letter to her, uh, and several of them saying, I know that we're going to be married. God has told me that you're going to be my wife. And uh, he, he told her she had really no choice because God said. Once again, he has taken away her right to choose and um, made it seem as if she has no ownership here, no no. Um, ability to choose him or not. So if that's the case and you run into some of that, uh, it's far from being romantic, it's just really evil. We don't own another person with, uh, without giving them a, a voice or without giving them a choice. So if that is the case, we need to help people who have been under that kind of a claim to reject the claim that someone has made over them and to restore them to their ability to choose. Uh, if it's the case that they're married and uh, they may have felt like they had no choice but to go to the altar with that person. But now they are married and they need to be uh, restored that personhood so they have the right to say, I'm making a choice now to be this person's husband or wife rather than being coerced because they had no choice. Another example of sexual sin is any sex act that happens between two people who are not married to each other. When that happens and two people are not married but they are engaging in any kind of a sex act, it creates bonds that they maybe didn't intend. Maybe they intended it, but sometimes they have no idea it's even happening. They did not intend for that to be something that bonded them together. And it happens whether it's a very casual relationship or if it's a pretty intense relationship. It doesn't really matter because it's not, in, it's not necessarily something that we did, but we know that from uh, Corinthians where Paul uses the example of a man who has Mary has had sex with someone who is not his wife and he said don't you know that the two become one flesh this is not something that was intended and yet it is the result of, of a sexual sin that is a consequence that we cannot wish away 
You can't undo that one by wishing that it hadn't happened. It's something that only God can do. God can break those bonds between those two people that are um, not husband and wife. It's a, a wound of really oneness that is created by that sexual union and it creates a wound because they're not husband and wife and when they're broken apart, it's like a piece of them goes with that other person, whether they intended that, wanted it or not. So, And it creates memories that are pretty potent in our mind and so when a a person who has had many sexual experiences before they get married to their spouse, they, they may have a very difficult time bonding to their spouse. Emotionally, sometimes sexually, sometimes physically, they just they, they cannot connect in the way that God intended because there's too many bonds that were created outside that marriage. And when a husband brings a bunch of those bonds into the marriage and a wife brings her own set of bonds into that marriage, how can a husband and wife ever bond together in the way that God intended? So those, those bonds need to be broken one by one. And, you know, I've often I have worked with men or women who have had many sexual experiences before they married their current spouse. And, and that is exactly what's happened. They've had a hard time connecting with their spouse in the same way that God intended until person by person you, you break off each one of those experiences um, through this process that we call prayer resolution process through accusing, forgiving, confessing, and asking for forgiveness, and then asking that God would break those bonds um, and cleanse us again and bring us back to a state of purity. It's painstaking sometimes when there's a long list of people and you, it's uh, tempting to skip over them, but there's, there's no shortcut here. If they had 20 partners, you need to go through 20. If they had 200, you need to go through 200, although the, they probably won't remember all the names. And at some point, it's, um, I, I know that I have grouped them together out of necessity of some kind, but as, as little of that as you can do, the more helpful it is. Sometimes it's, it's not uncommon for a hurting one to make a list in, in the initial history, and they've got... 10 issues or, or, or 10 incidences that, and relationships that they want to talk about. But when you actually start going through the process and, and going through that list of 10 people, you realize, oh, there were several that they, they forgot. They just blocked it out. And yet some of them were pretty in, intense experiences for them and very emotional. And yet it was deemed irrelevant or it was even forgotten. So it's, it's very common for that list of 10 people to expand to 15 or 20. Another distortion of sexual experience is that of premarital relations. And by that I'm, I'm just talking about when a man and a woman have sex before they get married but eventually go um, and, and do marry each other. Sometimes it's easy to think, oh well, it's water under the bridge, let's not deal with it but um, that would be a mistake sometimes uh, people who are dating especially who are believers and they they want to stay pure the question that they ask is well what can I what what's okay and what's not okay where 
what can I get away with without sinning? And the, the problem with that question is that the, the question itself is the wrong question to ask. And if you remember what Jesus said uh, in Matthew 5, verse 28, he says, I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in her heart. So the, the definition of, of where God wants us to be staying pure is any time one person is aroused. So what the question is then, how do I stay pure? It's, it's, it's the purity of the mind. And anything beyond that is something that needs to be addressed in prayer resolution. Most people are really shocked to realize that some of the things that they did before they were married to their spouse was not... Uh, was breaking God's standard. So they can have some um, pretty amazing ways of justifying what they've done before they were married and, and still think it's okay until they start looking at God's standard, which is, well, what did you do that created lust in either yourself or in the other person? Sadly, it's kind of rare to work in prayer resolution with a married person who has not engaged in something before they were married that violates God's standard and needs to be addressed in the same way so that um, they would accuse their now current marriage partner of, of um, violating God's standard and even their own standard and forgiving them for that process and then also confessing your own part in in defiling them at the same time they defiled you. If that's the case, um, we have to be kind of careful about the bonds that are broken because there were illegitimate bonds that were created and formed before they were married that need to be broken. But we don't want to break the legitimate bond that they currently have as husband and wife. Another distortion of of God's standards for sexual activity happens when there's there is sexual intimacy before marriage that that a, a child is conceived. And if you are taking a history with a a, um, a hurting one, and they talk about their parents having to get married, or you know the timeline wasn't right, and and you know that that child was born or conceived out of wedlock, just make a mental, mental note when you're taking the history. And you may need to visit that, that topic again when we get to the topic of, of parents. But often what happens when a child is conceived outside of wedlock is that they feel not only like they came out of an legit, illegitimate marriage, but they feel like they're illegitimate human beings, like they're, as in they're not a real person. So that needs to be addressed carefully because uh, they feel marked. They feel like somehow people should know that, that they're not real people, that they're, they don't really have a place on this planet. So um, if that's the case, uh, down the road we will need to address that so that they can hear directly from their Heavenly Father that He intended their birth even if it was outside of a, of a legitimate marriage. But none of us is an accident. And um, prayer resolution can bring some real healing in that regard. The last thing that I want to talk about here is pornography. 
and I know that Ted is going to talk about this in just a little bit, but I want to address it from an angle that sometimes is not looked at very often, and it, it can go under the table as, as um, something that doesn't even look like pornography to a lot of us. And that is something that appeals more to women than to men. Men tend to fantasize more about the, the physical, sexual part of that. Women fantasize more about the emotional piece. Um, and, and it can happen even with romance novels. I, my sister is a librarian, and she said there would be some women who would come in for romance novels, and they would walk out with like a, a stack of romance novels, and three days later they're back for another stack of romance novels. And she would just wonder what they spent all their day doing. Well, it's really no different than a man who spends hours in front of his computer and you know what he's looking at. These women are are getting a, a fantasy world in those romance novels that was outside what God ever intended. And they can begin to build something in their mind that is not true. It's a fantasy world of how these these fantasy husbands that they're creating in their mind are going to fulfill their needs. And it's every bit as wrong as a man who spends time looking at pornography. It's a wrongful expectation of this perfect husband that you're building in your mind. And I use the word husband, and it can also be a man who's doing this and, and building that same expectation for his wife. But in this setting, I'm just mostly talking about women who feel like they have the right to expect that their, their marriage is going to be the most romantic marriage and that their husband is going to meet this perfect husband that they're building in their mind is going to meet all of their romance uh, desires and wishes. And that's, that's uh, something that needs to be confronted because it's not God's design for, for us um, because we're married to real human beings and, and not the, the perfect person that we can build in our fantasies. I know that that can even happen sometimes in Hallmark movies, and I, I hate to say that because there's nothing wrong with Hallmark movies, but we can view them in the wrong way, um, view them as if, if this fantasy husband that we are creating in our mind is going to do for us all the things that that completely meet all of our needs and marriage is never designed to meet all of our needs it's there is a a wonderful plan that God made for us but it, it's idolatrous to do, to just believe that it's going to meet all of our our needs and I know that Ted has an awful lot more to say about pornography so I'm going to turn this over to Ted so that he can talk about that talk to you then. Um, thank you very much. Now we are going to begin on page 77, Implications of Sexual Sin. And I'd like to take um, this focus um, when, when Jesus was asked, what, are, what, are the, what is the greatest command? He gave them two. Love the Lord your God with your whole heart, soul, mind and strength and your neighbor as yourself this has been a powerful verse for me because it 
tells me that I need to bring my heart, my soul, my mind, and my body toward God in love and toward my neighbor and toward myself. There's a very complete part. It's not just my mind that needs to be to resolve a sexual sin. It's my heart. It's my soul. And it's my body. And so, I would like to talk about the implications of sexual sin uh, for men and women in this way. When we look on another person with lust in our heart, we are experiencing the sin of adultery. Now, we tend to think that men are more likely to do this, but this is really in error. Potiphar's wife lusted after Joseph and set him up. This is not new. This happens today. This happened then. Prostitution was a thing in the Old Testament. It begins in the mind, and it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. The things that happen in our mind, we are responsible for. Now, we know that no temptation comes on us except what is common to women and men. And we know that God is faithful, that he won't let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. And we know that he will provide a way out so that we can bear the temptation. And so, if we believe that's true, then we know that even our mind can be freed from its lustful thoughts, man or woman. We allow ourselves to fantasize romantically, sexually, about someone, to imagine being together with them, to look at their body and go, I wonder what, and women and men both do this. We are experiencing that person in our heart, not with our body, but in our heart, in our mind. And Jesus has said, just the same as committing adultery. You know, many of these things can come from book characters, internet friends, chat rooms, phone sex, lusting after movie stars, book heroes, colleagues at work, neighbors, uh, coveting someone else's husband or wife. You know, you have your heroes. What would it be like to be married to them? It might be better than what I've got. These are all fantasies that begin in the mind. They have to start somewhere and they begin in the mind. And lust is something of the eye. When we look, we see. We're responsible for what we look at and what we stop looking at. It's hard to go down a highway sometimes and not see a billboard with a scantily clad person on it. 
using our sexuality to sell some product that has nothing to do with sex. Very common. Very common in magazines. And the admonition in Matthew 5.29 is, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. Well, God is not asking us to maim our bodies, but he's saying to, to us, I'm very serious about what you look at. I'm very serious about what you're looking at. And I'm very serious about what you're thinking about when you look at that. Now, there are plenty of things that we choose to look at. Advertisements, magazines, articles. It's not particularly wrong to become more skillful in the sexual area. But how we go about obtaining that information and from what source is critical. There is a righteous way to do that and an unrighteous way. And we will have to take care of those lusts of the eyes, women and men, before God to be fully restored. I have been out in public and have women um, dressed in ways that I can't unsee their breasts. It wasn't important to them that I not see them. And I couldn't always change my position, but I could decide when I see them coming by again to not look. And I could decide to pray about them, and I could take care of that later. Now, men, they say, are more sexually aroused by images and more, and women more by words. But I would say there's a great variation in that. And so, when you're working with people, when you're working with your own sexual sin, uh, don't just fall into stereotypes. Go before the Lord fully and make sure that you're identifying your piece, their pieces, how they are aroused and how that has gone on in progression. People who are exposed to pornography as very young children soon find themselves needing more and more experience of, the, of videos and magazines, etc. And they're thinking about things sexually that they never thought about before. But then there's a progression. It moves from thinking and seeing to doing and from doing to doing more often, and from doing more often to doing more intensely. And there is a progression, and we not need to be aware of that. But now, as a man, I am not, I am not undone by a woman breastfeeding in public, but for some people that's just absolutely not acceptable. But it doesn't bother me. I'm not looking at that as a sexual thing. I'm looking at that as a mother thing, and I'm delighted at it. I'm delighted to see that bond. To, to me, it reminds me of my wife uh, breastfeeding our children. It reminds me of my 
daughters, daughter and daughters-in-law breastfeeding their children and the tenderness of those moments. I'm not interested in those breasts. That's not the point. I'm very interested in the love that's happening between that mother and child. We have to remember that even the lust of my eyes, for instance, looking across the room at another woman with lust in my eyes, can produce that ick factor on her. And it can do the same for men. Women, you slime on men also, just like men slime on you. <laughs> it happens in both directions. We want to be careful about our um, work. Next, we've talked about uh, sexual sins of the mind that, that begin in the mind, sexual sins of the eye. Now there's sexual sins of the body, touch. We are also responsible for touching and not touching. And God is very serious about this. He says, if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose a part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. God is very serious about this. But he really doesn't want us to maim ourselves. He wants us to stop these things in the, before they start. And here's a progression. Things that begin in the mind and move into the eye move into the doing. And so the touch is critical. Let me bluntly say, which hand do you use when you masturbate? Whether you're a man or a woman, we shouldn't be cutting off our hand, but we should be understanding that God wants us to seriously understand what touch is about whether touch of ourselves or touch of another. Is lust involved? If lust is involved, then it needs to be confessed. It needs to be confessed. There are many kinds of touch. People find themselves in front of erotic services, uh, KTV, or um, um, I can't think of the word right now, those um, karaoke bars, escorts, prostitutes, but just, you know, friends, you know, hey, let's be friends with benefits. Okay, that sounds good, but it's not okay to God. Let's experiment. We need to take those things on, and people will have different sensitivities about that. Uh, there will be some sexual experiences from the way past that come back to mind as they begin to deal with things. There will be people they remember that they hadn't thought of at first when you were taking a sexual history of, of, of their partners, their sexual experiences. There will be people that come back. There will be people that they don't have a name for, but they have a face. There will be people that they don't have a name or a face for, but they know something happened there. But all of these touches um, we have to address. We are to be holy as God is holy. And he is commanding us to do something that he wants us to do. Be holy. So we have the capacity to be holy, and that means we have to back up and take care of these things. Touch is one of those things that I, as a physical therapist for over 40 years, um, 
touched lots of people's bodies. And always professional, I felt, but they didn't always feel it was professional. And sometimes I felt they were just wrong, and other times I had no clue why they would even think that. Because I tried to make a distinction between and ask permission. I'm, af I'm afraid I need to see this part of your body uh, in order to ma make a better diagnosis, to do a better service, and better understand it. Do I have your permission? And sometimes I got thrown out of the house because I was perceived as a lecher. Sometimes I never got back to the house because they called the office and asked that I never come back. And I had not done anything wrong, to my understanding. But I could pray to my Heavenly Father and say, I don't know what's going on with them. And I don't know how I got involved in this, but I'd like you to take care of it because I don't want them to feel this way about me nor to have any lingering problem. I, I can't control that, but I can pray about that. There have been other times when people have been more forward in revealing their anatomy to me than I have required. And um, sometimes I can just smile and say, oh, I don't need to, to have you unclothed that much. Uh, and yet there are times when people have uh, like Potiphar's wife have made me uncomfortable like they wanted something more from me than being a physical therapist and I had to pray about those things I had to accuse them of those things and I had to forgive them and, and I had to confess if I thought there was any way I had um, encouraged that and asked for cleansing and ask for any bond that was formed from them to me to be broken. And God is faithful. He does that. First Peter 1, 14 through 16 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So, temptations are plenty in our world, women and men. Many a woman has, conf has confided to me after she took care of her um, sexual porn addiction that uh, she was no longer so attracted to the materials that she was using, nor was she masturbating as much, and was grateful that God had answered her prayer. Many a man has found relief from the pornography that he had been addicted to for a long time. That is a great thing. We have a choice. No temptation has come upon you other than what is common, and God is faithful he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he will provide a way of escape so that you can stand up under it. We do not have to go down that path. And from my own experience and from the experience of others, God grants success when we pray well in front of him. 
Now, you may believe that you can't control your urges and your temptations, but that is a lie. You're saying that verse about providing a way of, of escape from temptation is a bunch of baloney for me. You're calling God a liar? Good luck. Good luck. Let's not do that. Let's not do that. I'm too weak. I can't help it. I'm just a victim. I'll always be doing this. I can't get out from under the burden of what happened to me long ago. Sorry, that's not going to work for God. Because He can take care of your sexual past and the past of other people. Now, coveting is something that happens in our soul when we covet another person. We covet another man's wife, another woman's husband. We covet something. We want something that we don't have, and we covet it. That's soulful. We're saying, I'm not satisfied with my situation. Psalm 16, verse 6 says, The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Psalm 16.6 Once, I was thinking about this verse in the context of our sexuality. And I said, you know what this is saying to me? The boundary lines of my wife have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Folks, what I'm not going to do is to read and sing my own song of Solomon over my wife. She is the only woman who has given me permission, and I have given her permission, to know me intimately in all my parts, heart, soul, body, and heart, soul, mind, and strength. I have given her permission, and she has given me permission. I love spending time with her. And even in non-sexual experiences with one another, there's tremendous intimacy, intimacy that comes from knowing the contours of her body, of knowing what she likes and doesn't like, not just sexually, of being aware of her preferences, of being skillful in understanding her. Emotionally, physically, spiritually being aware of her like no other woman. When I lie down with her just to go to sleep and wrap my arm around her, it's like repeating my marital vow. You and you alone till death do us part. And I take great pride in holding on to this woman that I have. Proverbs 5, 18-20 says, Rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. 
be intoxicated always in her love. That is the desire of a Christian man and woman, not to be distracted by another, but to enjoy fully one another and to permit the other to explore you. And if there are barriers from your sexual history that you need to take care of, then you need to take care of them so that you can be with your spouse and only your spouse. It's important that you take care of your sexual past. There was a man once who came to me um, as part of a training similar to this. Uh, we were offering a one three-hour session. It was um, six o'clock in the evening when we began and as we began, it became evident that he was not going to be satisfied until we went through his whole sexual history. He had a list of 27 people. He had names for most of the women. There were no men in his sexual history. By the way, we also will ask questions about same-sex relationships, especially in this day and age. But this man was not through with his sample session, so to speak, until five hours had gone on. It was 11 o'clock at night before we were finished. My translator and I were tired. <laughs> but he was beaming. He was very excited to be done with this part. He had been convicted by the Holy Spirit as we were teaching and he had gone out and he'd made a list of these 27 people and he was not wanting to stop and I didn't want to stop him. I'm glad we did it. I saw him the next year helping lead worship and he was still beaming. Free and relieved. And it was a great thing to see this brother who I'm going to spend eternity with who had done the hard work of putting his sexual history to rest so that he could move forward in life free of the past. So, as you are thinking about sexual history of yourself and others, it's not necessary that there be a physical relationship. Those relationships can be created in the mind and in our lustful hearts. We allow ourselves to be tempted, and we can resist temptation. And God is holding us to that standard. So for whatever your sexual history is, and I've heard quite a bit myself of people, whatever it is, surprisingly, it is one of those things that's somewhat easy to take care of. You might disagree with me. You might say to me, Ted, you're wrong. That cannot be easy to take care of. But friend, the issues that happen in our sexual life are rather plain and, and visible. Who did what? What happened? How I felt about it? What resulted from it? Any lies I felt? Any cleansing that needs to happen? All of these things are rather easy to pray through 
and people are surprised when many times, oftentimes, we start with their sexual history. But it proves to be that place where they really find relief quickly and, if not comfortably, with some ease. Because God wants us to be well. He wants you to be well. He wants me to be well. <laughs> and so when we take care of them in a way that pleases him, when we identify who did what and confess our part if we had a part, when we forgive the way he wants us to forgive and we ask him to do justice for us, when we confess and ask for forgiveness, when we ask him to break spiritual bonds and emotional and physical bonds, he's willing. When we ask him for cleansing, he's willing. When he asks us to be free from the past, he's willing as much as is possible. Friend, we look forward to you becoming well yourself and finding relief and helping others among your friends with their own sexual history. Heavenly Father, thank you for all of the blessings that you provide to us, including those in our sexual history. You have made us sexual beings, male and female, different, unique, different, and that's just fine. It's what you want. Help us to find relief from the sins of our sexual past. Help us to bring these to you with the help of another. Help us to do the same for all the other friends and believers around the world who think they just have to cope with their past, who Satan continues to harass over things that could be taken care of and brought to you in prayer. Father, we ask that you uh, help these friends and anyone who hears these words to have the faith to believe that you care about even this part of their life. For Father, I have seen you work in my own life and I have seen you work in the lives of many a person. And I am so grateful to have been in that front row seat seeing you lift burden right and left from people. Thank you, Father, for being a good, good Father. Thank you all. See you soon.